Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, please. Uh, We'll be getting the first verse here in just a few moments. If you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here. We're glad you joined us. Uh, We're in a series uh, through covenants, and we're calling it You Are Not Your Own, describing the difference between being in a covenant relationship with God and in a contract with God. And one of the things we've learned is that we have a covenant-giving God. He builds relationships and connections with us that are based on His goodness and His character. And that allows us to be covenant people. And we can enter into that with him and receive all that God is, and he will never leave us. He will never uh, forsake his promise to who he is for us. We talked about what it is to have covenant homes and covenant marriages. And in those first four pieces, we focused a whole lot on what we are in Christ, what he offers us, and how it affects the areas that shape who we become. Then last week, we talked about being covenant citizens. And our look went from ourselves to the world. In other words, we're here for a purpose. And the purpose isn't just our satisfaction. It's the way God develops us. And part of the way he develops us is by having us focus outwardly. So we talked about what it means to be a citizen of his kingdom. And what we learned is God has given us an incredible opportunity to offer reconciliation to our world. We get to go into the world and say, be reconciled to God because it's not only possible but through Jesus Christ, it's proven. And so when we talked about that, I want to take us to the next level. As citizens of his kingdom, God has created these things called covenant communities. You see, being a citizen of his, one of the benefits we have is we don't have to spend one second trying to discuss who's worthy. We get to offer Jesus to anybody. The worthy, the unworthy, it doesn't matter. The interested, the disinterested, it doesn't matter. God has empowered us to offer his kingdom to those who are in need. And we get to do that. And that's part of what it is to be a citizen. But when we do that, we create these things called communities. You might know it as a church. But never forget that if the church is not a covenant community, it's not God's church. It's not what God designed it to be. Because we believe that God is restoring the value of everything he created. And he does it within his church. He does it within his people that have gathered together for purpose. And we're going to talk about what that purpose is. But what I'd like to open this morning, before we get to Galatians 6, is share with you some passages that might remind us what the church is called to be. We begin in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Some people ask Jesus, hey, could you boil everything you're talking about? Could you boil it down to like, what are you talking about? What is the greatest thing we should focus on? And Jesus responded, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. This is what covenant is all about. We love God because God first loved us. And because that love alters us and shapes us, we then can love everybody else. We can be a people that give love. In fact, Jesus said, they will know you are my followers by the way you love one another. So we get how this covenant works. The faithfulness of God pours into our lives and then we become a faithful people loving the world the way God loved us. This is what it means to be a part of the community. And when we talk about this, when we look at the church on this day that we celebrate the 70th anniversary, my heart was crushed on Thursday night when someone asked me, was it my 70th birthday? I, wow. Uh, 
Yeah. I don't drink, but I thought about it. I'll be real honest with you. That was, was like, what? I saved the gray away, but I'm not 70. But anyway, it's the church's 70th anniversary. And, and Dan McGrew, one of our elders, has been with this church over 50 years. And he and I were talking. I got to stand next to him Thursday night when he saw the video for the very first time. And unashamedly, uh, he had a tear in his eye and it put one in mine. Because Dan saw the faces of the stories, like many of you that have been here for that number of years, you know the faces on that screen that many of us don't. For 70 years, God's faithfulness has been on this church. And it's amazing because it's not a perfect church. This church has had fits and starts. It's had great seasons and hard seasons. It's been filled with great people and hard people. We don't profess that this church has it all figured out. In fact, we don't have many things figured out. But the one thing we know for sure, God is faithful. And God's favor has protected this church and allowed it to exist for 70 years. And so today, all we want to do is say to God, thank you. Thank you for allowing this place to exist. Thank you for giving us a part of it. Thank you for the influence it's made in this community for generations that have gone on and generations that are just starting here. Last weekend, we had all those babies on the stage. That's the generation that we're here for. That's the generation that we need to protect and we need to train and we need to teach. And when you look at the way churches are evaluated in our world, most churches aren't evaluated by the world that way. It's by size, by power, by cultural celebrity. Is the preacher known? Does he write books? Does he travel? Does everybody know his name? And here's the good news. None of those things the world measures the church by have any eternal significance at all. I don't know many things about the afterlife, but I know this one thing. God's not going to ask you what size church you went to. And God's not going to ask you who was the preacher. And praise the Lord, God's not going to ask you, was it located in a cool place? Because we'd all be out, wouldn't we? I mean, I'm not sure God knows where Orinogo is. So it's not about all the things the world measures. There's a standard by which God measures his church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to a young preacher these words. I am writing you these instructions so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Do you notice in God's church, there's an expectation on God's people? That's contrary to American culture. We evaluate the church by whether or not it makes me happy. Does the church please me? Does it do things the way I want them to do them? But that's not God's standard. God said there's an expectation on how we conduct ourselves. I like that. In Ephesians 2, he says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which prepared God in advance for us to do. Every single one of us has been gifted by God to make a contribution. It's beautiful. In fact, the word created takes us back to Genesis. When he said to Adam and Eve, you'll reign with me. I have a plan. Follow my plan and put it to work and watch what I do. It's powerful. We go to Ephesians chapter 4. I think this is one of the most purposeful passages to identify why the church exists. And we use this as leadership here to regularly remind ourselves why we're here. He said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As citizens of God's kingdom, you have to be a part of his community. The person who says, I can be a follower of Jesus and have nothing to do with God's church has absolutely misappropriated scripture. Even when the church is all janky, the fact is that God has called us into community. As the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit live in community, we are a people that cannot be separate of community. 
focused around our faith, focused around our hope. He goes on in verse 11 of that chapter four in Ephesians. He says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's a mouthful. Let me break it into tiny little pieces. Christ put his church together, not for me, but for we. My dad used to say that all the time. Church isn't about me, it's about we. Now, that's terrible grammar, but I got the point. It's a, it's a collective God's plan is for community. This is how he grows us. This is how he shapes us. This is how he directs us and disciplines us. The same things that Drake Holderman said two weeks ago in in the message on what it means to be a part of the home. We understand that the church shapes us in the same ways. It's instructive. It's what God wants us to do. And until we all reach maturity, it's not about whether I'm pleased It's whether God is doing the work and we are participating in the work that shapes all of us. You might see some green sweatshirts in the foyer or people are wearing them this morning in honor of the 70th anniversary of our church. It says, completeness in Jesus. This is where we get that phrase from Ephesians 4. Until we all reach maturity and find our completeness in Christ, the church has purpose. Romans 12, 5 says, so in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. You heard it in the video. It's an expression we've used as long as I've been here, that you and I are sitting in the shade of trees we did not plant. Now, I know there's been some people that will match Dan McGrew for being here. I know, uh, you know, there there are several. You can see Jim Moss sitting right out there. He's born into this place. So he's known it his entire lifetime. But even Jim sits in the shade of trees he did not plant. The blessings of this ministry were things that others provided. People you know and people you'll never know people whose names are remembered and people whose names are forgotten, but the sacrifices they made so that our generation could have an opportunity to have a safe community out here with facilities, property, and all that's gone into it. I just look at the legacy and I'm thankful to God this morning that there were people who made sacrifices so you and I could rest in the shade of trees we had nothing to do with. But the real question, you know where I'm gonna go with this is 30 years from now, What new trees will have been planted by us? What will this generation of children who came to be dedicated last week, what will they have because of our choices? See, when you read this uh, church's history, you'll understand this church has not been sustained because it had it figured out. There was no secret recipe. There were a lot of hard seasons. There was a lot of sacrifice. There was a lot of prayer. There was a lot of discipline. There was a lot of arguments and disagreements. There were people walking away and coming back and people who walked away who never came back. The perfect church doesn't exist, but the perfect God does. And when we honor God's plan for his community, God will grow an amazing thing in the most ridiculous places. So how does God measure a church? by three simple standards. Nowhere in scripture will you hear any of the Bible teachers talking about the size of your congregation, the the facilities, the fame, the programming, the influence, none of it. What you'll hear regularly is when God measures the church, he measures it by its faith, hope, and love. And there's no exception to that. Every letter that Paul writes to a New Testament church, if you read the beginning, Paul is saying to them, I love your faith, I love your hope, I love your love. Or he's writing the letter because you have love and you have 
faith, but you've lost your hope. Or you have hope and faith, Corinthians, but where's your love? See, the way God measures a church is a better way to measure a church. Are we living out the faith, hope, and love that God has given us? So to answer my question this morning, why would God call you and I as citizens of his kingdom, as his sons and daughters, why would he call us into this weird thing called the church? Well, we know it's not to please us. It's to find his pleasure, not ours. And I'm not accusing anybody of being selfish in here, but we're all selfish at our core. So it's in us, right? That we can turn even God's best intentions to whether or not it pleases me. But I want to show you in Galatians 6 that I want to give you three reasons why God has called you into a community called the church. And to make it memorable, because my sermons aren't memorable and I'm not memorable, so I'm going to give you a title that is. Let's just call this Christianity and the Three Bears. All right, think you can remember that? Because I promise it's an earworm. You will never forget it. And what is it is that Paul in these first 10 verses uses the word bear or carry three different times, but he uses three different forms of the word to show us why we gather together. So let's launch into this. Number one, bear one another's burdens. It's the first bear in our story. You see, here's what I want you to know. If you get nothing else of this first point, I want you to understand this. Somebody needed you to be here today. The reason you came was not for you. This might awaken some of us. You didn't come to hear a sermon, I hope. You didn't come here to just sing songs. I hope you came to gather with others around the table and remind your heart of the goodness of Jesus. But somebody here needed you. They needed your attention. They needed your focus. They needed your service. They needed your financial gift to help promote an opportunity for the future. There's a reason you came here today. It's because someone needed you to be here. This is what it means to bear one another's burdens. Look at verses one and two. Brothers and sisters, church, he's talking to us. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Now, Paul doesn't say, if you catch someone sinning. Some of us are good at that, right? Some of us are really good at like, oh, watch that guy, he's going the wrong way. Well, listen, if you're a person who enjoys catching people in sin, nobody likes you. And you're not needed because most people in sin know it. You pointing it out, you're limping, huh? That's not helpful. So he says, if you find someone caught in sin or trapped in sin, this is a different take than we're out there looking for the sinners so we can weed them out of the church. This is actually saying the church is the best place for someone who's trapped in sin because we are the restorers. We're not the judge and jury. We're the healers, the restorers, the rescuers. We're the lifeguards who jump in and get them out of their circumstance. And let's worry for another day how they got there. Because the person drowning doesn't need a lecture about choosing wisely. The person drowning needs someone to jump in and get them out of the water. Amen? And Paul says that if we see someone caught or trapped in their sin... Actually, the word restore, you should restore that person gently. The word restore actually means to set a broken bone or a dislocated bone. So I don't have many of these stories, but playing some football, I was carrying the ball and I got tackled and my ring finger was pointing straight in the air. I mean, all the other fingers were doing their normal jobs. This one decided just to point toward the sky. 
And my, my hands started getting cold and numb and I was shaking it and I looked down and I thought, oh no. And I came out and I grabbed my wrist and I ran to the sideline and the trainer we had, trainer, it was an old guy with bandages. That's all he was. And he had a dip of Copenhagen in and every time he talked to you, you smelled that foul stuff and he was right in my face. And I walking over expecting compassion. Every go, oh man, that would have killed a lesser man. Something like that. I was expecting And I ran over, and that old turd grabbed that finger, jammed it back in its place, wrapped white tape around the two middle fingers, and sent me back in the next play. And I couldn't feel my hand. And I just remember going home, and I was whining like I whine. I was whining to my dad, and my dad said, Mark, if he didn't put that finger back in instantly, that joint would have swelled up. You'd have had a terrible time getting that back in. You'd have had trouble the rest of your life. And I was like, yeah, I know. I didn't know. (laughs) And what I realized is this. Resetting a bone hurts but it has to be done for health. Are you with me? And it says here that when we see someone who's trapped, we should restore them gently. But sometimes what needs restored and reset is painful. It's hard, but we do it with them. We don't just do it for them. We do it with them. We walk with them. When people are caught in sin, it is the church's job not to wound, but to reset, to strengthen To encourage, in fact, the Greek word used for bear or carry in that particular verse means to lift off a heavy weight. So this is what it means to bear. One preacher explained it this way. He said, we often think that sin is a virus. It's an outside entity that's entered into us and it doesn't fit within us. But I like his correction. He says, no, sin actually isn't a virus. Sin is a dislocated bone. You see, there's good news. God has given us food for our edification. God has given us sex for our edification. God has given us relationships for our edification. God has given us uh, treasures, riches, opportunity to make money, to provide for our families, jobs, talents, and skills. He's given all of us those things for our edification. So sin is not a virus. Sin is when those things become dislocated in us. When sex becomes too much, Money, too much. Friendships, too much. And it dislocates our soul. And this is a person trapped in sin. It's not the symptoms, it's what brought it about. And the church is not a place of judgment. The church is a place where we help reset dislocated people by teaching them the ways of God that bring wisdom and correction. And yes, at times it hurts, but our intention is not to wound. Our intention is to restore One of my favorite quotes I've ever discovered comes, it's a West African proverb. When a man steps into the center of the circle to dance and no one claps, he will soon tire and sit down. But if everyone claps, he will dance all night. I want to testify this morning. I probably wouldn't be in ministry today if it hadn't been for this church who clapped when I attempted to dance and kept me moving and going and growing And the wounding in my life is all my fault. I'm not blaming anybody else. But to come to a place where people encouraged rather than expected, when people were grateful rather than demanding, when people had compassion and understanding when a person's spiraling, instead of demanding, well, it's your job, do it. In situations like this, I want to thank God for a church that kept the music going so I could keep dancing. Is there anybody else in this room who could testify to that? Is there anybody in this room who could thank God for a church, no matter where it is, how big, small, powerful, or famous, 
Anybody else in this room today with an amen, could you testify to the fact that you're walking in your faith because a group of people called the church kept you moving? Yeah, we got a lot to thank God for and not just 70 years in one location. God's church works. You see in verse two, carry or bear each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's a beautiful picture. So the second thing I want to point out from this text is bear the standard of grace. Verse three, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else for each one should bear their own load. Wait, you just said we're supposed to help people bear their burdens. And now you read this one and it says we're supposed to bear our own burdens. Which is it? It's both. Because Paul uses a different word for bear or carry here. He uses this word to carry our cargo or backpack. Can I just simplify it, overly simplify it, and bring it right to you so you understand where we're going with this? What Paul is telling you and I to do is own our reality. I like that expression by the kids today. Own it. I think my dad was trying to teach me that in the 70s when I would make excuses. Sounds like an excuse. It is. Own it. What he's saying is, don't deny your reality. If you see someone trapped in sin, we will run and rush to help get them out under that burden. But to understand where you really are, to own your circumstance, how is your soul today? Own that. That doesn't mean you have to tough it out. You know, suck it up and just make it work. We're not talking about this fake bravado. We're talking about actually calling for help. Repenting of sin seeking wise counsel, to carry your own backpack, to take responsibility for your own spiritual walk. Part of the reason you're involved in a community is when we come to reality, we end up needing other people. So we are needed and we need. And it's beautiful how Paul brings this all together because there's two errors that will keep us from doing this well, I believe. It's found right in our text. There's two things that keep us from owning our truth. Number one is a conceit that looks down on people or diminishes others. Verse three, just quickly, if anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. There is no empathy available to you when you feel superior. There's no compassion when you look at someone and think they've earned that. So Jesus doesn't ask us to be judge and jury. He asks us to be lovers and sacrificers and reconcilers. So one of the challenges we have is no matter what condition another person's in, including someone you love, it is showing them loving truth, a combination of equal, of equal balance of both, love and truth. The other challenge to us is when we compare ourselves and it diminishes us. You can see it right there in verse four. They take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to any, someone else. You know, I have found that There's two truths to most people. They're either too hard on themselves or they're too hard on others. That we we look down on others or we look down on ourselves. There's so many people who have walked away from their faith because they met someone who was more talented or more accepted or more popular than themselves. They get discouraged because I can't do it the way they do it. I'm not as good as that person. And we diminish ourselves. And God has called us into the community where every single one of us is necessary and we belong to each other. There is no wasted person in the kingdom of heaven. And God has called us together. You see, that we can be self-deceived 
And yet we're called to know who we are. I, I love the expression, there but for the grace of God go I. We hold and we bear up the standard. Our covenant relationship with God gives us a place. And that is a place of grace and a place of mercy and a place of reconciliation. And when we know our identity under the love of God, it allows us to not only bear one another's burdens, it also allows us to bear the standard of grace, to live it out and communicate it. And the last thing I want to point out is the third in in this particular teaching And it's one that's going to just actually open the door for us to walk through next week. It's to bear the cost of the gospel. On this weekend where we celebrate that we sit in the shade of trees we did not plant. And tonight we're going to have a wonderful time outdoors on a perfect fall night. I had someone say, you think it's going to be too cold tonight? It is hoodie weather. It can't be too cold. And we're going to eat and remember and get to know each other and fellowship around the fact of God's favor. But on a day we do this. In 30 years, I won't be here. Now, I could not be here tomorrow. The elders could have a meeting. I don't know. But in 30 years, I won't be here. And I know that. My granddaughter will. That matters to me. I want to make sure that there are Sunday school teachers teaching our children about the love of Jesus. I want to make sure that our Christian camps and CIY summer conferences and all of those events, I want to make sure that we're the generation that makes sure they are funded and ready to do for the next generation what they did for mine. I want to make sure that the churches in Japan that we're financing right now is just the beginning of a movement of revival in Japan and in places like India and South America, wherever it is. Church, are you with me? We have to bear the cost of the gospel. And it's not just financial, it's prayer, it's encouragement, it's bearing them up when they're undergoing burdens. It's being the kind of people that invest in the future. In 30 years from now, what trees will have been planted because of the work we do today? Verse seven, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, we have opportunity. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's bear responsibility. Let's take it upon ourselves. As citizens of this community... Yes, the church is messy. I I think it's funny that the world thinks, we think we got it figured out. Many don't want to come to church because they think the church is a group of people that just have everything perfect and look down on people who don't. I want to confess today, welcome to Christ Church of Orinogo. We are a bunch of broken boned people and God is resetting every single one of us. If God is in the work of resetting your soul, give me an amen. The world doesn't understand that. So let's change their view of us. Let's be a welcoming people set out to reset sin and bring health and life the way God does it. You've been called into this community called the church for a reason. It's a powerful story I found when I was a young preacher, and I know it's true because it's in the Reader's Digest. (laughs) There were a group of refugees fleeing a war zone And to be able to escape, they were going to have to go through snow-covered mountains in the worst part of spring. And as they were leaving their village, uh, a very sickly mother with her daughter and and with her elderly father 
came up to the group leaving and they said, can we go with you? And the group got together and said, yes, but we can't stop. We got to go or we're going to get caught and imprisoned. So they said to the mother, we men will carry your daughter, but you and your father are going to have to get there on your own. You're going to have to stay with us. We can't delay. We can't wait. We'll carry the baby, but you two have to get yourself there. They traveled for about 12 or 14 hours in the cold of the night. And the woman said she turned around and her father had sat down on a rock. And he said to his daughter, I can't make it. I'm too old. I'm too tired. This is too hard. I can't make it. You leave me. She was broken. How do I leave my dad to die here by himself? He can't go back to the village or they'll imprison him and kill him. And he can't go up the mountain. She didn't know what to do. And then it it hit her. She walked to the man carrying her daughter and she took her daughter from the man and she walked back to her father and she placed her daughter in her father's hands and then she walked away. And she joined the crowd as they kept moving. She said it was about 10 minutes before she could turn around, horrified at what she wouldn't see. And when she turned around, she saw her father carrying her daughter, his granddaughter, slowly but steadily. He couldn't do it for himself, but he could do it for her. And he made it over the mountain with his daughter and the people. And that little girl grew up in safety And she became a missionary that went back to her village and preached Jesus to the people in her village. Because one guy didn't grow weary and quit. All the reasons in the world to stop, but he didn't. He set his mind on his granddaughter. And I believe one of the reasons God calls you and I into the church community, because you are not your own. There is a greater purpose than my personal satisfaction in the church. There's a greater purpose than my personal pleasure in what I receive on a Sunday. I'm called for something greater, to help people bear their burdens, to find my reality in my community of faith and to own it and to deal with it, to handle it. And also to look to the next generation and invest in them that 30 years from now, at the 100th anniversary of Christ Church of Orinogo, should God be willing, may you and I plant trees that they can rest under as a gift for them to then look 30 years ahead and make their investments for people they'll never meet. Long after we're forgotten, may God's church go forward because God's church are a part of a covenant community that has purpose. Maybe you need encouraged this morning, you need to be prayed with or for. Let us help you with your burden. Maybe you're someone who needs to talk to a counselor or a pastor about the reality you're under right now. Come to the table at the back with the lamp slit or to the prayer center in the foyer. Or maybe you're a person who says, I want to invest in this ministry as it goes forward for the next 30 years. Ask God where that is and he will reveal it to you. And together, let us change the next 30 years for the kingdom. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.